0: Welcome to Your Team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. We are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today we are talking about life post-quarantine. Now we actually
1: hope that that's a real thing, but we are hopeful and we want to talk about how we're going to create a new normal. Our guest today is Dr. Anisha Abraham, and she's going to share some of her thoughts on how we can best handle this transition. But before we talk to her, we want to talk to you about, well, I don't know what Stephanie's going to be talking about, but I know I'm going to tell you all about how neurotic I've
0: become. Or maybe always been. Let me qualify that. Okay, let's hear it. And then I'll I'll tell you if I think it's changed behavior or sa- same sue or different sue. It's like a game show.
1: Okay, so what I was going to talk about today is like really this overwhelming sense of how many anxious, neurotic feelings I have during the day, which may be connected to COVID, but may just have revealed themselves more at, like with COVID and being home and, and more family time and all of those other things. One thing in particular is being on Zoom all day. I don't really look in the mirror so much. Like I wake up in the morning, I t- I brush my teeth. I take, oh, well, let's start with I brush my teeth just in case you want to know that that's how I start my day stuff. And then I take a shower and I, you know, I do whatever I need to do with my hair to hope that it turns out curly. And then I never check again.
0: Like I, I'm I o for 3, just for the record, for anybody listening, all the things you listed. <laughs> I am o for 3, but go ahead.
1: <laughs> okay, so that's a morning in the life of Sue, but not Steph. On Zoom, I literally, first of all, I never wear makeup. I find myself occasionally putting lipstick and like a little cover up. I also have colored my hair at home because I spend the whole time looking at my hair, and one day, I put, like, one of those root sprays on, and instead of having gray hair, I had a nice, lovely line of spray. (laughs) But it's like, how much time can you spend looking at yourself? It's really... I think that there's like a little bit of an uh, a false sense of who we are when we don't look at ourselves. And then that's all gone when you're spending the day on Zoom. So I I have covered my side of the screen when I'm doing an interview because I'm having a hard time not focusing on that one strand of hair. That's ruining my whole look, by the way.
0: <laughs> so do you that want me to weigh strand. in right now if I think yeah, this is pre-Sue yeah. or COVID-Sue? Sure, sure. A thousand percent COVID-Sue. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. a thousand percent. <laughs> So what's yours? I think I have the, what we call for my dad, check, check, recheck. So my dad leaves the house. He does the, did I leave the oven on? Did I, right? So this, I think, falls into the OCD category. So I have a lot of the, is the garage closed? Is the fire put out? Is the back door closed? I don't think, wait, you can weigh in. Lots of checking. Okay, well, I want to
1: say that I know to before, I never knew anything about that before. Yeah. But I, w- I will tell you that in two days, we were on Satellite Sisters yesterday, and you brought up the same examples. Now, you didn't say it was a burden or new, but you were like, how come I'm the one checking? So you brought up the exact same thing yesterday. So not, pre- not pre-COVID. This is a COVID new thing. It's, it all weighs into like, a, just a new life we're living. But so today we're talking to Dr. Anisha Abraham about how we're kind of re-entering the world after all this quarantining. And I will say I'm having a really hard time. I don't actually know when I'm going to hit the moment where I say I'm all in. Like I had agreed to go on a boat ride tonight. Yeah. And, and then I went to the grocery store and like I was there too long. And I actually felt like I've got to get out of here right now. And I thought, I'm going to be trapped on a boat. Like, I can't make everybody else get off the boat because I'm anxious, right? So it wasn't so much about whether I thought it was safe or not. I just felt like, I don't think I'm going to relax enough to enjoy it. Like, why That's don't? so
0: funny because I was wondering what it was. And you and I have been talking a lot about this. Is Everyone's got their line in the sand. And it's funny, when I saw your email saying, can't do it, I thought, okay, what was it about it? Because I was picturing it, right? Open air, you love it. So, like, I was trying to figure out why— She went from, you went from like, I love this to I can't do this. I'm like, okay, did something happen? I started going through in my head Uh what would have caused that. I'm like, okay, it's open air. We're not trapped. We're not, but it is a feeling of being trapped, which is so interesting. I would have never guessed you said that, that you would say that.
1: Well, so there was trapped in the sense that if I'd had enough, if I felt like my, my time limit was done, that I couldn't make the decision for myself. But the other piece of it is that When we did it last year, it was so carefree and joyful and like maybe the highlight of my summer last year. And I knew that I wasn't going to feel the same way this time.
0: Wait, can we tell the listeners why it was the highlight of our summer? I mean, yes, a boat ride and it sounds beautiful. We probably picked the nicest night of the summer. There were many nice nights in Cleveland in the summer, but we rode in. So we were with our mentors for your teen, whom we love and revere, and we were invited out on this boat ride. And we rode in with the tall ships that were coming into Cleveland that night that we didn't even know I knew they were here that summer and all those things. We literally rode in with them. I have these amazing pictures I just looked at again, Sue, I should it, it just brought me so much joy again back to what you're saying. It was magical. It was the whole night was magical.
1: Everything about it couldn't have been perfect. even getting pulled over by the the <laughs> what, the Coast Guard.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Todd and not Todd Silverman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I just had the feeling like it wasn't going to repeat, not because I needed it to be exactly as last year, but because I didn't think I could relax enough to enjoy it. So when I look at reentry, entry and I, my family's the same way. I was just thinking today, I have to encourage one of my kids to go out with me because she almost hasn't left the house.
0: Oh, so interesting. Like even for a walk?
1: Not so much. Once in a okay. while to like get takeout or something like that. But I, I want to encourage her to go with me to the grocery store today. Masks on, gloves on yeah. if you need them, like whatever you need, but get out.
0: And I want to add one thing I was thinking as you were talking about in relation to the kids, is I've been really conscious, and again, maybe this is, well, it's clearly a COVID thing, <laughs> is um, how I'm acting during COVID and trying to model some of that normalcy, even though inside I am dying over some of the things. I'm dying over like things I want to do and things I don't want to do or can't do. It's kind of like the boat ride where I'm like, "Is that safe? Is that good?" Like, should I be doing that? Should be, you know? And I think I said on the podcast we were on yesterday that we had friends over on the patio the other night and with their kids, and it felt so normal. We didn't have masks on. We were sitting away from each other. We had each picked up like ice cream, and we were just sitting around the fire. And it was so beautiful, and I felt like we are in an episode of The Wonder Years. We've done it a few times with people, but mostly at my house. And
1: last night we went to someone else's house, and it was not as relaxing for me because I could control the environment in my house. Like, we set it up the way we felt comfortable, and I couldn't control the other one. So I'm going to tell you that I'm so proud of you for modeling good behavior for your kids, and I am so failing. (laughs) Well, wait a minute, but you've done the
0: same thing. You've done
2: it at your house. Yeah,
1: but I am not hiding my anxiety Oh, all. All right. Well, so that was, I guess, fun talking about. And hopefully, the next time we have a conversation... We're both going to be feeling ready to, we're going to have information from the public that it's safe to reenter. That's going to be really exciting. Up next is our conversation with Dr. Anisha Abraham.
0: We can't wait for you to join us. Raising kids is hard. Raising kids in a pandemic is even harder. As a mom, one of my worries has always been, is my kid in the right place for him or her? I've seen firsthand what a new setting can do for a kid's growth and confidence. That's why I love Laurel Springs School. Laurel Springs School is a private school with an accredited online program. Kids can maintain a flexible schedule while growing both academically and personally. They can progress through the material at a pace that's in line with their skills. This means that your child can pursue their outside interests and excel academically. Online learning might be new for your family,
1: but Laurel Springs has been doing this for nearly 30 years. As the experts in online learning, Laurel Springs has the tools and the curriculum your child needs to maintain their learning unhindered by whatever the future holds. Visit them at laurelsprings.com. Dr. Anisha Abraham is a board-certified pediatrician and adolescent health specialist with 25 years of global experience. Dr. Abraham treats and counsels young people with a variety of issues, including social media use, drug use, and stress. As a recognized educator, Dr. Abraham provides training on adolescent health and wellness to faculty, teens, and parents. Her clinical and research work combined with her experience with cultures and transition is the basis for her passion and interest in making the lives of global teens better. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Abraham.
3: Thank you, Susan. Okay, and Anisha, tell us where you are right now. I'm currently based in Amsterdam, Netherlands. And how much longer? Well, we're in the process of uh, preparing for a move, and we're going to be coming back to Washington, D.C. this summer, so not for long. What do you think the biggest changes because you're leaving a place where things have opened up, right? That's right, Susan. We certainly have experienced a real improvement in the numbers related to COVID uh, here in the Netherlands in particular, but certainly in other parts of Europe. And um, we really think that the curve has flattened. Um, restrictions have eased here. Kids are going back to school. I have two boys that um, are, one is returned. The other one will be returning next week. So in some ways, I think um, we've made some progress, and I think um, we're preparing ourselves for the fact that things could be very different in the United States.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're longing for where you're at right now. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things we've been starting to think about in terms of the information we put out there is this kind of like desperation to know what to do and how this is going to impact our kids and all of these questions, but also just tired of talking about it and reading about it and hearing about it. Are you finding that the parents you connect with are feeling COVID fatigue? Well,
3: I believe that um, parents have been living this for a very long period of time. And I do think that um, they are really trying to figure out how to prepare for what's going to come next. And I think uh, are hopeful that there's going to be some real changes that are also happening. So I think the real question is, how do we prepare families to start to handle all those other uncertainties that come with uh, reopening schools, easing restrictions, and, and knowing what to how to make the best decisions with um, the information that they have?
1: And how does that happen, though? I mean, really, how does that happen?
3: Well, I, I do think that we really need to be looking at what's available to us in our own communities. And there's, again, a real um, variation in terms of um, how... Various communities um, around the world, much less in the United States are addressing these issues. And so certainly um, getting good information, uh, understanding what's happening in terms of testing, understanding what's happening in terms of a return to school and, and all of that, I think is really important. And also just having good conversations within families about preparing for, you know, going back and, and what that could mean.
0: All right. So let's talk. You, you touched on medically. How do we? How do we know anything for sure? How do we make these decisions as parents in guiding our teens who may or may not be compliant, or you know, varying levels of compliance?
3: I would probably say that in most cases, we still know that we're not quite over the hump yet. And I can certainly say that in many places, the United States, that's very much the case. And so as a result, even though we're seeing an improvement in terms of restrictions, um, some places are starting to open up services and we might see that you know uh, that there aren't the strict kind of stay-at-home orders that we've had in the past, it doesn't mean that we should be letting our kids or ourselves go back to everything completely as normal. I do think that there's a real concern, and it's very much based on what we know in other parts of the world, that there could be a resurgence in terms of infection. So I think it's important for parents, parents to have conversations with their kids about the fact that teens can still get infection, they could be asymptomatic, and still, of course, pass it on to people that are vulnerable. So all of the things that we've been talking about in terms of good hand washing social distancing, trying to kind of limit to a household if possible. Those things are still really important in terms of protecting not only themselves, but I think the larger community.
1: It's just so hard to know. Like, I feel at a loss. I've been the one to jump on everyone, everything that was suggested. So, like, if you look at my countertop, there's <laughs> um, elderberry, there's vitamin D, <laughs> there, like, all of these things. And then yesterday, in where we live, they just talked about how the, the surface may not be an issue like they thought it was. And so cleaning surfaces might, you know, where people have spent hours and hours <laughs> washing down surfaces, that that might not be a thing. So how do we try to get back to some normal while also, okay, the mask seems like a good thing. Gloves people are inconsistent on, you know, like what would you pick as your top? Like, I I will not let my kids do anything if they don't do this.
3: Those are really good questions. And I think that the short answer is we need to guide some of this based on research and science, of course. We also need to have some level in terms of balancing all of this with being overly anxious and getting so caught up in trying to clean every last thing that We can't even leave our lives and and, um, feel balanced about it. So I would recommend that we certainly continue to encourage kids to hand wash. What we do know from uh, the data is that um, the likelihood of spreading infection that's respiratorily born um, is a little bit lower when you're outdoors versus indoors. If kids want to meet somebody, it would be better for them to meet someone outdoors, um, again, as compared to inside. Again, if it's someone outside of their own household, it's better if they could try to do something in a social distancing way, like going for a walk or being on a bike, something along the lines. I know some kids now want to go back to sports and playing basketball. and There's all these questions about how to do that. And again, I would say if we can stick to smaller groups and not make it very large groups, um, again, that minimizes spread and contact. When it comes to having people over to the house, again, limiting the amount of people, it's not to say that you can't have a, you know, a good friend coming over, but if you're having several friends come over, the likelihood that someone is asymptomatic of spread going out to all these other households increases. Well, we also know that you know prolonged um, speaking to someone um, for more than 10 minutes, potentially could, if someone is truly positive, could spread infection, as is things like singing, for example. So trying to minimize, you know, prolonged contact with someone outside of the household if possible. And I think that's where- Is that even
1: with, sorry, is that even with social distancing? So like if you're doing the social distancing, are you also
3: supposed to worry about the time spent together? That's a good question. And I would say outdoors, if you do the social distancing, you're probably okay. Indoors, there's still a theoretical risk that if someone were to sneeze or cough and they're speaking- the spread of germs could be in the air and on fomites. Again, you have to balance all of this. And I think people are going to become very anxious, always worried about this. And I would say, if you happen to have someone that's immunocompromised at home, has a chronic illness, is high risk, I think those are the folks that probably need to be, you know, thinking about these issues just a little bit more. But people are relatively healthy, I think you need to, again, balance the need for connections with friends or other family members and overall their well-being with, again, the need to be incredibly stringent.
1: Wouldn't it be great if you could give us, like, just give us the list of 10 things that you know for sure? Like, you know, it would be so dreamy if you could do that.
0: Well, and I have a question. Wait, can I add something else on? Is when you're talking about social distancing and if a kid wants to go for a bike ride or be outside, mask? No mask? I mean, of course, mask is better, but are, are we insisting on that
3: outside? You know, That's also a very good question. And I would say that having lived in Hong Kong and certainly looking at all the data in Asia, that masks really have been very helpful in terms of a public health and community effort to decrease infection, um, particularly if someone were to cough or sneeze, it decreases the likelihood of spreading it and potentially, um, again, being able to be exposed to that. Masks are not perfect. So if you're touching your mask, for example, um, you know, then you could still potentially um, get in contact with COVID if the mask is dirty. So it, it doesn't mean that you won't get it, but it is one other layer of prevention. So are masks useful? I would probably say that in places where it's very crowded, where you're mixing with people outside of your own household for example, if you happen to go to um, a store or a grocery store or something like that, it's useful. If you're getting on a plane, if you're going to be, you know, getting into a place where you have to travel, I think a mask is useful. Of course, many places have now made it mandatory to use masks. And I think that they're using good, again, knowledge in terms of making that, that, uh, that happen. In Germany, for example, you now need to use masks. In public places and in many places in the United States, I think there's similar rules around that. So I think being aware of what the um, regulations are in your own community, knowing your own kind of underlying risk factors and being aware that masks, particularly in crowded places, help, I think may be part of what we need to think about. Finally, there isn't any perfect answers. I wish I could say, you know, 10 top things, and these are exactly um, what you need to know. But, you know, science is not black and white. There's a lot of gray, and I think, you know, it can be challenging. And there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to COVID. This pediatric multisystem inflammatory
1: syndrome, is that very contained? Is it something that we should all be very
3: alarmed by? I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with what pediatric multi-inflammatory syndrome is, but just again, to give some background, it is a condition that um, is similar to something called Kawasaki's disease. It's an inflammatory condition, and um, it kicks off a kind of hyper-exaggerated immune response in the body, and it tends to involve blood vessels and other organs. And what we do know is that similar to Kawasaki's syndrome, MIS, or multi-system inflammatory disease, um, has caused kids to, again, have a lot of inflammation and other issues. How do you know someone truly has it? Um, we're seeing some of the cardinal signs include things like having a fever, having um cracked lips, having red eyes without having any pus at all, having swollen glands or lymph nodes, having stomach symptoms or GI symptoms, and having swollen fingers or hands are some of the things that you would see that go along with this. It doesn't mean you have to have all of it. What we are recommending is if your child is having some of these symptoms to certainly contact your provider just for them to, again, perhaps consider doing additional tests. Because there is good treatment that's available, it's just making sure that they're getting in in time uh, to be treated. So I think your other question was, do we need to be worried about this? And we know that um, there there could be an association um, with COVID. Some of the kids that are coming in with this are having antibodies. Many of them um, weren't symptomatic for any other COVID symptoms, so it's hard to know. It does seem to affect more school-aged kids or kids under the age of 19. And um, I think we're going to find out more information as we see more kids returning to school and other things in terms of what, what's really occurring with this.
1: Oh, that's so interesting. I thought that, that we knew that there was a COVID link
3: to MIS, but you're saying we're not 100% sure? Well, we, we think that in most cases when we're seeing it, that there is um, COVID-related antibodies, but many people didn't present with COVID-related illness prior to coming in with this, if that makes sense. So there we feel like there's probably a pretty good link but the short answer is I think we're still learning more each day. In New York City for example, we had about 150 cases total recently and you know worldwide, you know, there are young people that are affected by this. So I think we're really trying to compile all of this information to get a clearer sense of what's really causing this, if there's some parallels to what we're seeing in adults in terms of inflammatory conditions and other things that are occurring.
0: What if you have parents who don't agree on re-entry? And I don't mean parents like me and my neighbor. I mean parents like me and my spouse. <laughs> what,
3: how, how do you suggest handling that? I would say that um, it's not unusual for um, parents to perhaps have different opinions when it comes to re-entry to school. In fact, I was just talking to a parent very recently, and they were actually going through this very same discussion. And as I mentioned here in the Netherlands, um, for some kids, we're restarting school as of next week for those that are in high school. And um, one parent felt very strongly that her child should not go back and could be at risk for things like MIS. Or other issues. And um, the parent, the, the other parent felt very strongly that from an emotional, um, and kind of psychological standpoint that their child really needed to go back. And so I think parents really need to look at the full picture. And if your child has really been having a hard time, um, feels isolated, does not feel connected, has not been able to do well with the online school process and really benefit from seeing their classmates and being back in school, that may be a child that really needs to go back and have that stimulation, despite the fact that there may be some additional risks in terms of COVID. If, again, your child does have a chronic illness or there's someone else that's immunocompromised or your child is really anxious. I heard from another parent that their child is so worried about going back to school because they're so worried that somebody else could potentially affect them. That may be something else to think about. So I think it's really knowing your family, knowing your child, kind of weighing all the pros and cons, certainly knowing, again, you know, what the rates are and the ability to get tested and so on in your community and making a really informed decision. And again, you know, parenting really comes down to being able as parents to think about all these issues and and come to a consensus.
1: I've been thinking about this the whole time, how hard two households in a divorce situation must be right now. Number one, you're, you're likely traveling back and forth, so just even that extra exposure. But then, like, if it was hard to co-parent before, how are you doing that now? And tack on this re-entry conversation in that
3: situation. Do you have any advice for those people? I think that um, co-parenting, when you have a household where they've gone through divorce or other things, can sometimes be challenging. And then certainly adding COVID into the mix and thinking about returning to school probably just adds to all of the other decisions that need to be made. I suspect that in many um, families, when we went into school closures and, and so on, the parents probably chose to have a child in one house or the other, which also sometimes can increase the level of stress and and so on. But I would probably say, again, as parents are making decisions, all of the same things that happen if you're together with a spouse still need to happen even if you're not living um, with that partner any longer and you're, again, separated or divorced. If you're really having a lot of issues, I mean, obviously, if your child is old enough, certainly trying to understand where they're coming from and what would be important and what would be the best decision. But if you're really having challenges, sometimes going to you know an outside objective uh, you know, third person or third party may be useful. And you know, getting some mediation or having an adult or uh, even a counselor just to be involved with that, if necessary, may be useful. That's excellent.
0: Let, let's finish up with the fact that summer is certainly going to be different. <laughs> than what than what we've been oh, yes. used to. <laughs> um, so um, boredom is yes. a, a topic. Can you talk to us a little bit about the value of boredom and just what 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 you see that looking like this summer?
3: Right, and it's such a good question because if you think about what most kids are doing in the United States um, or other places in the summer. It may be going to camps, maybe visiting family members, it may be involving some travel, but certainly there's opportunities to do something other than school or being at home. In many places, um, those opportunities are no longer available. We know that most camps are not going to occur. It's going to be difficult to be able to travel. There's lots of restrictions still. Even seeing elderly family members has become very complicated. So coming back to your point, I think that boredom is really important. Um, In fact, I'm a big fan of allowing kids to have a little bit of downtime and boredom. Uh, And I talk about this a lot in terms of the context of um, living in the Netherlands, where um, I think that uh, the Dutch parents really try to embrace kids having downtime and chill time and not being overscheduled. And as a result, having a little bit of boredom to become creative. And I think that the wonderful kind of Byproduct of sometimes having a little downtime, and there's good data to support this as well, is that kids actually end up trying to do really interesting and um, invent, you know, invent and and creative things. I know my own son when he was really bored and didn't wasn't allowed to get on his computer, for example, created an escape room in our house that was really well done with you know lots of different um, kind of codes and other things that we needed to do. So I think again, with boredom comes some wonderful opportunities encouraging our kids, of course, to look into that, look into what they're passionate and excited about, building on their strengths are things that I think are really important when it comes to how to look at our summer and figure out what we need to do.
0: That's great, thank you. So last question, we ask all of our guests, what is the biggest parenting myth?
3: I think there's a lot of myths out there, but I'm just gonna choose one right now. And one of them is that good parents need to put their kids' needs first. And um, I see this a lot uh, when I work with parents where, They feel that, um, you know, their kids' lives need to be completely mapped out. They need to kind of schedule everything. They need to be on top of everything. They feel remiss right now because they're not able to um, teach um, their kids everything that they need to learn um, if they're out of school or, you know, they're doing online schooling. There's sometimes going to be a culture where we're very obsessed um, about um, our kids and making sure that we do everything, you know, kind of as a helicopter parent. The challenge with that is that we as parents and as adults will ignore our own needs. And again, if you remember what you have to do when you get on a plane, what do they tell you? Put your own oxygen mask on first. Before you take care of your child, and so particularly in the situation of COVID, where there's just so many other stressors and uncertainties, whether it's financial or emotional or personal, I think it's really important for parents and adults and people that are listening to this to think about how they can take care of themselves. And I think you know modeling ways to cope with stress, modeling ways to give back to the community are important important parts of that. But again, really thinking about um, taking care of your own needs, and then ultimately, you know, good parenting comes out of being attuned and engaged and being in the moment when it comes to your child. It's not about, again, scheduling them and making sure that they're doing all of these different activities, but just, you know, really being responsive, I think, to their needs is what's most important.
1: I think that's so helpful for us because as, we, as things start to open, even though we can maybe look back and see the joy that we had of slowing down, the inclination might be to pick back up. And so thank you for reminding all of us of that. Dr. Indisha Abraham, thank you so much for being here with us. And we wish you well in your move back to the States. And thank you for being here. Thank you, David.
0: Thanks for joining us for Your Teen with Sue and Steph. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. Also, if you want to receive our newsletter, head on over to yourteenmag.com. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of
1: Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer, Michael DeAloya, plus producer, Hannah Leach, and audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. If you like today's
0: podcast, please leave us an iTunes review or send the episode to a friend. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.